You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled How the Spiritual World Projects into Physical Existence, The Influence of the Dead. This is Lecture 4, given in Erfurt on the 13th of April, 1913, the official opening of the John Raphael branch. It must be a matter of great pleasure that with our anthroposophical work being done in different places, we are now able to come together here in Erfurt where some of our friends have been working together for some time, seeking to develop anthroposophical life, spiritual development, under conditions that sometimes go against us. And this John Raphael, in brackets, Johannes Raphael, branch, is the fruit of these endeavors. Coming from outside and meeting with our Erfurt friends, and now able to dedicate this branch, we may as an introduction, turn our minds to the significance which the anthroposophical work done today has for human evolution altogether. My friends, how do our anthroposophical branches come into existence? If one considers this, they may really be said to arise in a wonderful way, for they come into flower here and there, rather like spiritual products of nature, and the people who feel called upon to establish such a branch in their enthusiasm stand there, in their feelings and to the occult power behind these feelings, like a spiritual power. They feel they have something, they feel they have to do something. A branch is not established out of present civilization, but out of the hearts of those who feel called to do this. There is nothing in our present civilization that comes to human being and might suggest from outside as it were, that one join in the anthroposophical work. For someone who decides to do anthroposophical work may expect very different things in furthering the work from ease and recognition. Not one of the accepted streams and endeavors of the present time seeks to win souls for anthroposophy. And anyone looking at our anthroposophical movement the way it is will confirm that it does not agitate for anthroposophy in the ordinary sense apart from the fact that circumstances will not permit speakers to go anywhere but where they are called, we consider the nature of the movement to be such that we will try everything to provide occasion for people to hear about it, but it is for them to come to the anthroposophical work. When one sees propaganda being made, one will see that this has nothing to do with the stream we represent. And this is how every movement basing itself on occultism should act. It should be left to people to come of their own accord. And this movement then sees anthroposophical branches coming up here and there because something is flowing into the movement, which continues to act in the proper karmic order. And it mostly is the case that the branches are brought to the existing movement. We have to appreciate the fact that branches arise in spite of all the prejudice that exists. There have to be enthusiastic souls 
who proceed to establish such branches of their own accord. You know, we cannot count on a great and powerful effect from the beginning, and the people who are enthusiastic about our work must know that they will meet with scorn and derision. They have to know this, and also that the work will initially be difficult, demanding self-denial. We have never seen anything else. People are often disappointed over and over again. Again and again public lectures are organized, but we have met with failure only where we took fright at initial failures. When we took it calmly that five people came to the first lecture, none to the second, and continued to work in spite of this, we also saw success in the end. We should make ourselves independent of instantly apparent successes. For to feel encouraged by successes is easy, but not to give up, that is difficult. The latter means that there is no outside prop. We find, therefore, that our branches often have to work hard from their very beginning. Misunderstanding will follow misunderstanding, but we should train ourselves to see what is right. We have on occasion also had a different echo. I was called to a city, I won't give the name, to give lectures on two or three occasions. When there was no result, the individual concerned said, That's enough. Let people come and ask us to give lectures from now on. I told him that would probably mean a long wait. And we are still waiting. I know very well that the right thing to do here is to express gratitude to our friends, seeing that they have worked so hard for many years. The friends who have come with me will feel the same gratitude. The thoughts our friends direct to this place will give strength and will progress if we keep faith with one another. The main thing for spiritual work is to give support to others. The work will succeed all the better the more such support is given. I would say that this Erfurt branch has shown in an outward sign how closely it feels connected with our way of working and our approach, and this feeling of being connected will be an inner impulse for them to succeed in the work. It is something of a risk to go into concrete details of anthroposophical research, and in a way I may call it an achievement in our work, that the way our friends have come to be at home in anthroposophy has meant that individuals among us have developed a feeling that it is not just a matter of developing theories, but that the work leads to real insights. One does make the strangest discoveries, particularly in these areas. Oddly enough, people outside, who, who know nothing of the anthroposophical work, begin to criticize the concrete research work, though they have no idea of the spiritual work that has to be done, for instance, to establish the things said in my book titled The Spiritual Guidance of Man and Humanity. Readers aside also on this website, end of aside. They set about criticizing the way research is done in this field. Criticism is expressed about the two Jesus children, for example. It may be that those people have something to say when one is dealing with general truths, but when it is a matter of something specific, all one can do is stay silent. People should say to themselves, It does seem odd what is said there, but it is none of my business. It is all the more valuable, however, when our Erfurt 
friends feel that they have a special connection with these things. For nothing is said but things that can be checked using the means at our disposal. One of those truths is that John the Baptist is the same soul as Raphael. I therefore feel that it is a good deed spiritually to call this branch the John Raphael branch, and so reflect a truth found in spiritual research. This also makes this ceremony an intimate one. By referring to an occult truth as we give a name, we make it known that we are keeping the faith with regard to things that are for us most intimate. And then the words gain and depth, which the poet Novalis wrote, and which we heard here today. We must, after all, look for the most important element in the sentience and feelings that unite us. Nothing will give rise to them but the basis of our insight. Yet, we must not take it easy. Insight must catch fire so that we feel ourselves to be together. And if it is in accord with our friends' intentions that I say a few words of dedication, I think it is right to say that I feel real satisfaction in saying these words. It is a dedication that comes from the heart. I may say, therefore, let my words give an impulse to the work we have begun. You will be working under the protection of the mights and powers of which we know that they work among us unseen, the masters of wisdom and the harmony of sentience, if we do our work lovingly and faithfully. I may speak of what lived among you when out of an intimate impulse you endeavored to give your branch a name, saying that the protective powers that watch over you and give us impulses for our work, powers of which we know that they are called the masters of wisdom and the harmony of sentience, I call upon them that the branch may flourish and be a center in this city for the spiritual progress we long for, and with this you are given the possibility of making the connection with something of which I spoke to the friends who had come together in Weimar, making it in a particular way, though it will not matter if not everyone has heard of it before. It has to do with the life between death and rebirth. It had been said that after leaving the physical plane, an individual might have certain difficulties in connecting with those who have remained behind on earth. It may be possible that the individual who has gone through the gate of death knows of someone who has been left behind, knows of things they shared in life before he had gone through the gate of death. Something shared with someone else on earth lives on in the mind of the dead individual. But there are many cases where such a connection cannot be made, and that happens if the person left behind develops thoughts that are not a spiritual in, by nature. When someone who has remained behind on earth very rarely fills his soul with spiritual thoughts, the dead soul has no access to such a soul. I am speaking of the way in which a living individual may be able to connect with someone who has died. A particular line of research provided me with remarkable information on communicating with the dead. It may seem strange at first that John the Baptist presented prophetic activity filled with will impulses to the world, and later on this soul appeared again as Raphael, in a marvelously self-contained way wholly given to the world in deep devotion. Many things seem strange and peculiar to us in spiritual investigation. Much seems dangerous to us 
because it is so self-evident. And when we consider things in more depth, it may come as a shock to see that many of them are not the way we thought them to be. For someone who has realized the truth of a fact, like the one we are considering, that John and Raphael were identical, it is important to keep a feeling of wonder alive. I can assure those who are not able to investigate such facts for themselves that things do not come up when you are looking for them. They come unsought. To think a lot about such things does not help much at all. What helps most is to be able to wait calmly until the inspiration comes, and then it is good if one is able to be amazed in a way at what is given. The straight way of the intellect is not suitable for occult research. A sense of wonder means that one will gradually come to see that something we wonder at proves understandable. Thus I realized one day that something different as an after-effect in Raphael's soul. Let me read that again. Thus I realized one day that something different lived as an after-effect in Raphael's soul. His work was amazing, and I was able to see that this after-effect had actually come from his father. He had died when Raphael was just ten years old. Now the father might have lived a little longer, I am speaking hypothetically, he could have had the strength to live longer, but he took that strength with him into the spiritual world, and there are occasions when such strengths can be extremely powerful. The father had not been a great painter, but inwardly he was a painter. He lived in ideas of painting that he could not bring to realization whilst still in a physical body. He sent those powers from the spiritual world to his son. And this is why young Raphael could turn into such a great painter. He gained his artistic abilities from the powers his father sent to him from the spiritual world. This does not, of course, make Raphael a lesser man. It has merely served to show how powers act down from the spiritual into the physical world. Lessing said a strange thing. He said that Raphael would have been a great painter even if he had been born without hands. The powers that were in the Baptist John were transformed into the painter Raphael. Life will be taken a great deal further if we are able to gain insight into the way the spiritual world influences the physical world. I had to work as a teacher for a long time. It was my task to teach children who had lost their father. If you are a conscientious teacher, you have to take everything into account. You have to ask what are the inherent abilities, what is the influence of the environment, and so on. I tried to consider everything that could be outwardly considered, but a difficulty remained. I then said to myself, the father has died, and he had particular aims for his children. And things went all right once I took the father's intentions into account. The father's powers of will were there. So one sees how the dead, on their part, influence the realm of the living. It has to be remembered, however, that the dead are unable to know what those who remained on earth are doing, as I also said this morning. When someone has gone through the gate of death and knows that his impulses influence the physical world, it can be painful for him that he is unable to perceive those he has left behind. 
The dead can feel inner discomfort when they are unable to know what is going on down there. This feeling can be removed by sending nourishment to the dead. Being in life, it is up to us to create the opportunity for the dead to perceive us. Remember that it needs a thought to ignite spiritual life, as it were, in our soul. It really is an important positive thought to know that the dead individual is there, within our reach, once they have gone through the gate of death. For that is a thought that can never come by concerning ourselves with the physical world perceived through the senses. We should be firmly convinced in our hearts that the person who has died is living. You see, at times when there was not yet anything to cause confusion, there was really no need for anthroposophy. But times change as human evolution progresses. Not long ago, every individual, including those who worked with such sciences as then existed, was convinced that the dead lived. Today, people are confused. This concerns not only those who doubt that the dead are present, but also the rest. And that is also the reason why anthroposophy had to come. We know that the dead live. It is the thoughts hidden deep in our souls that matter, and we often have not the least idea of them. All of us are in the midst of a mechanized age that has given us railways, ships, telegraphs, and other inventions. What does it mean, for instance, to go on a tram compared to the fact that it is not all that long ago that there were no electric trains? It means that we are surrounded by things put together in a purely mechanical way. This generates an imagination, but one that may remain unconscious. It is there, however, influencing the soul and apt to deprive us of our belief in life after death. This life is torn out by its roots. That belief could still cope with the horse-drawn coaches of old, but cannot do so when it comes to modern forms of transport. These call for greater, stronger powers. I would now refer to something which I have said on quite a few occasions. Some people want to bring the anthroposophical movement to a halt. When the first railway was to be built, the faculty of medicine were asked what they thought of the project with regard to the health of travelers. The physicians were seriously concerned about running the railways and firmly advised against it. They said if one was nevertheless going to build the railways, it would be absolutely essential to put tall hoardings on either side, otherwise the rapidly changing images seen by travelers would, without doubt, cause concussion. But this expert opinion did not stop progress, nor will opposition put a stop to the anthroposophical movement. By the way, I did not intend to make fun of the faculty of medicine, but merely wanted to say that such expert opinions cannot stop progress. It advances in the face of opposition. The railways have indeed made people more nervy, and humanity has changed because of them. The whole fabric of the inner life has changed. And without the railways, people would still have greater inwardness. The experts had made their point, and they had been right. Earth evolution proceeds in such a way that this had to happen the way it did. In anthroposophy there is no wish to turn the clock back. But it will be clear that faith could hold its own with the old coaches, but not with the railways. 
Anthroposophy is active in the subconscious, and belief in the spiritual world will be an important factor in the further evolution of humanity. Faith is no longer sincere among very many people today. Because of this, the reasons coming from anthroposophy must be brought into play. If we take note of this, we will find that in earlier times people had that spiritual connection with the dead and were able to give them sufficient strength. Today it needs spiritual insight, and there we see that the spiritual thought of the soul living on must be fired by insight. We are able to say that, because our age has assumed a particular form, it has been necessary to let anthroposophy flow in, and this stream will make it possible again for the living to feel connected with the dead. We need not be devastated at having been left behind, for we can be the helpers of the dead. On the other hand, the dead can also be our helpers. Some people know very well what they owe to the dead. Many things have come from the dead where spiritual insight is concerned. And it has always been extraordinarily important to me, for example, that the dead, especially those who had died early, were helpers. It is not always a matter of someone who has gone through the gate of death having been necessarily of outstanding intellect here on earth if he is to help the living. Young children often die who are advanced souls in the spiritual world and able to tell us a great deal. People who merely consider this intellectually will not be able to penetrate such secrets. As I said earlier, the dead can show us one thing and another. How does that happen? Let me give you an example. I have on several earlier occasions told you how it was with Raphael's title School of Athens. The two figures at the center are usually thought to be Plato and Aristotle. That is a misrepresentation, and you will not be able to make much of the, this significant painting if you study it the way Bedeker did, who said that individual figures represent this or that person. The one figure is actually Paul, who appeared among the philosophers in Athens. I was able to understand various things when I used the Akashic record to track down what had made Raphael paint that picture. Other investigations had convinced me about the origin of the Gospels, no connection here with the school of Athens. The writers of the Gospels had at times established dates according to the stars, which means that they did study astrology. This is a separate fact, and initially it does not relate to Raphael's painting. Then I had the good fortune, or was given the grace, that someone who had, lived, who had died relatively early drew my attention to the connection between the right and left sides of the painting. I was told that the words from Luke's Gospel, that had originally been included in the painting, had later been painted over, writing in words of the school of Pythagoras instead. Now, one can also understand the gesture where on the other side compasses are used to point to astrology. And I was able to establish that Raphael had intended to show astrology on the right. And the things which were discovered there would be written down on the other side. The Gospels were thus written on the basis of astrology. Now, you see, it was important to me to draw attention to the nature of the connection between living and dead. Someone undertaking such a thing, once he has gone through the gate of death, is able to look at spiritual events the way a child looks at nature. 
The child looks at the natural world but does not understand it. But through an intuition he is able to convey marvelous things. Things developed on the basis of intellectual thought will not reach the dead. The living individual must be available to the dead individual. The latter must be able to turn to the thoughts of the living, and what he experiences must be seen from the mirrors of the thoughts of the living within him. Anthroposophy would never exist in the spiritual world if human beings had not gained it on earth. It is true, therefore, that initiates who work on earth have the thoughts in their souls by this roundabout route, and that the dead are able to take up these thoughts. One cannot say why read to the dead, seeing that the dead live in the world about which we develop thoughts. Children also live in the world of which we speak. Children do not have the things that science provides on earth, but they are able to take in anthroposophy in the spiritual world. Yet this anthroposophy can only get to the dead from this earth. I hope we understand one another in this. It is indeed evident that the individual who comes to you as one of the dead, experiences something like a longing within him. He does not know, however, what this longing is aiming for. You meet with him, and if you are guided by entering into a relationship with him, that is how you can work with the dead, whatever the circumstances. If you have spiritual wisdom, it will be filled with light, and the dead perceive the light. But if the soul does not take in spiritual wisdom, it will stay dark and the dead cannot perceive it. The possibility for the dead to live with us depends on what we have to offer them. That is the other side of what we are discussing this morning. We bring something about that... We bring something about what gives the dead inner satisfaction, and it truly will be the best fruit of anthroposophical life and work that we do not merely believe in the life of the dead, but that there will be more and more activity activity in the soul that will attract the dead. And this will be an increasing necessity for the development of our civilization. Human beings will be all the less connected with what remains to them of the life between death and rebirth, the less they fill themselves with spiritual wisdom. In the physical world, souls will have to grow more and more impoverished and cold unless they turn to the spiritual life. They gain inwardness only by communicating with the spiritual world. One thought can live in our souls to strengthen them. Our activity need not end when we have gone through the gate of death, nor need it end for the advance of civilization. No, we will be able to have an influence down below if people down there are prepared to receive it. If the spiritual world were open to us, Without the individual doing something for it, humanity would grow casual about it. No, we have to do something for it. This is indeed proof for us of the basic truth that flows to us from anthroposophy. The end of Lecture 4